Hello, this is Russell Davis with The Art of the Artist, The Art of the Artiste, a series inviting performers and writers at the top of their game from any or all of the entertainment disciplines to tell us how they see the art they practice. And today I'm thrilled to welcome Julie Walters and we'll be discussing the art of turning Smethic global, which in effect you've done. <laughs> Brilliant. I wouldn't say it's your life's work to do that, but nobody else could have done it for sure. <laughs> and the great thing is if you went back to Smithick, which you may do, I don't yeah. know, you, yeah. it wouldn't be in a limo, would it, with a mink coat and a Hollywood wig and everything? They, no. They would still know you. Oh, I, th- I hope so. Yes, God, no, it would never be go back like that. I'd never go anywhere like that unless I was forced to. Everybody senses there's a great groundedness about you. Do you feel a difference between yourself and the kind of performer, and, you know, there are so many of them, who went straight from school into drama school without an intervening period of life, as it were? That's difficult to say. I'm not sure which of them did that. Some people who didn't do that aren't grounded, and some people who yeah, did uh... do it are. I think it's kind of your upbringing or... Something. I don't know. I guess it must be my upbringing. So I, I'm not sure about that, but I think it's a really good idea if you're going to be an actor to get out in the world because it's about that. Mm. It's about watching people and looking at them. You know, my nursing experience has been just a great mine of fun for me over the years in terms of working and stories and, you know. Well, hospitals are drama schools, I suppose, in a way. Yes, There's yes. enough Theatres, happening. Yes. yes. Absolutely, theatres. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yours was an inner-city Birmingham hospital. It was. It was I, I was based at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, which is a fantastic hospital. It's where all the soldiers go now to have operations when they've been at, injured in war. But it's a wonderful hospital. And then the General Hospital right in the centre and the Children's Hospital yeah. I did, yeah. It occurs to me that actors coming from Birmingham must learn early on that they better acquire a range of other voices because even now, mm. you know, with the drama opened up to all sorts and conditions of people, the black country voices, nobody does it any favours, even today. Do no, they? no. And often it's people doing it who, who can't do it because they don't hear it very often. Mm. And so it's kind of cartoonized, whatever the word is, you know, rather than you never hear the real thing. Yes. And, and even people who can do the accent, well, I suppose that's true. That if you come from a city and you hear other people doing it, even when they do it brilliantly, you can hear that they're not from there. Yes. And I guess people do that with me when I do, I'm sure. But um, yes, And there no, are lots of differences. I mean, you would know somebody from Dudley was not from Smethwick, wouldn't you? Yes. I mean, Smethwick isn't massively black country. My dad was Birmingham, my mother was Irish, so that didn't affect us in that way. And we're so close to the centre of Birmingham that our accent was more Birmingham-ish, I think, than yeah. black country. Yes. We're so close to it, but, yeah. Well, you know Liverpool well, ever so yeah. well, and that accent became wildly fashionable for a time. Yeah, the Beatles did that yes. for it, didn't and they? once it's been fashionable, then it's all right forever afterwards, but that's yes. kind of never happened in Birmingham. No, I think it gives it kind of low self-esteem somewhere. I think people... I don't know, it's... it's, it's 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 sad, and, and especially, I mean, it's a very deprived area, the black country, and I think they have that to deal with as well, whereas if you come from a poor part of Glasgow or somewhere like that, it's kind of okay. Mm. Scottish People accept Scottish and Welsh and, and, and even, you know, Manchester and, and other big cities. It, but as you say, Birmingham really suffers. I don't know why, because it's a fabulous, a fabulous dialect, you know. Your technique with voices has always been great. Was it your immediate surroundings that did that for you, or did radio have an influence, as it did on so many? There were many voice artists on radio in those days who did nothing but different voices. I think that came from childhood and impersonating people, finding that I sort of had a bit of an ear for it and and then realising that it really entertained people and made them laugh and, you know, the family loved it and kids at school loved it, so it was that, really. You had a a range built in for you because... the Irish side of you. Yes. 
very useful. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And that's been useful over the years and it will be in the future. Yeah, and such characters. So that was very helpful. And your grandmother, was she, yes. part, of the, she was part of the Irish? Uh, oh, yes, my grandmother, my mother's mother, came yeah. to live with us when I was... Well, she was already there when I was born. Yes, yeah. and she was a bit of a character, owing to several... Um, sort of, I suppose, they were sort of strokes and she became very eccentric after those and did got up to all sorts, which you probably don't want to hear about on radio. <laughs> but, yeah. Was she any part of your uh, coming to specialise in older people at a young I, age? It was calamitous, really, her time with us and so hard for my mother because, you know, she would create mayhem wherever she'd get up in the night and disappear and, you know, she would sort of give us anything we asked for. In those days, I can remember her giving my brother a £10 note. Well, that was a huge amount of money oh. in the 50s. It was a huge note, actually. Yeah. A big sheet of paper. Yes, and she gave it to him to go, you know, go and have some sweets sort of thing. My mother's like, ah, you know, you can't have, you know, this sort of thing. But but she got up to all kinds and... um and I know it was entertaining for us as children. It was hilarious. Now, of course, as I'm reaching her age, I sort of feel for her. You know, I think, oh, God, but as a kid, we, we didn't ever think of her like that. But I knew it was hard for my mother, and I sort of felt a bit angry with her about that as well. And I think, yes, there was an obsession with her and how she obsession with how old people sort of aged, their faces, their shapes, their voices. So, yes, because she was such a massive influence, I couldn't, I somewhere couldn't wait to play an old woman of a similar ilk and, and embody that, you know. When you're building a character or finding a character in a script, are, are there any clues that you can use? I mean, the famous case is Beryl Reed great character comedian and oh, actress yeah. who, who used to say that once she'd found the pair of shoes that the character <laughs> would wear, then she was away. She was happy. Yes. Well, I'm the, sort of the opposite. I think I'm the opposite of that. The shoes, th those sort of things will be the last thing that I think about. Mm -hmm. It'll be a feeling. It's very hard to describe, really. It'll be a feeling from the script as to who this person is. And physical things do come out of it when you're doing it. You think, where is that? Why, do I, why does this gesture seem pertinent and it's obviously something that's gone in from someone I've met over the years and sometimes I think oh my God, now I know what it's that woman I met in so-and-so that I spent time with or that person who worked or do you know what I mean or the doctor's receptionist at so-and-so that it's that I remember and that's gone in and I think actors do that they absorb other people yes you know and then and they come out often it's not people say oh who did you base it on and I think well base it on consciously on anyone it's sort of comes out from reading the script and feelings about what this is about what this person is about come up from the script if it's a good script and then you know and that is obviously relates to people that I've met sometimes I can see oh oh goodness this is my husband's mum or which I mean, she came out in something I thought oh that's so nana <laughs> what we called mm. her you know so I've got nanas in this wait till you see it is nana and you all sort of laugh you know Mrs Overall you see you see I'm, I mean being your favourite character apart oh. from the Scottish play perhaps that's, that's a rival character isn't it yes and Lady M yes and Mo probably oh right Yes, playing Mo Mola. But yes, yeah, Mrs. Overall, yes. Yes, is your grandmother lurking in that uh, somewhere, waiting to be released? I don't know whether she is, really. I think it's more... Because it's more because she was Birmingham. Well, just, you know, from where I came from, really. Mm. I think it's more probably my dad, and my dad was very old for his age. You know, he looked, he aged very... You know, he looked ancient when he went, really, and he was only my age. Yeah. And um, so I think it's partly him and... 
and other people in my life that I've met that are thrown in. They're all ingredients of people. Yes. But the great thing, the wonderful thing, and the first thing you saw about her was that posture. Oh, no. I mean, you only have to bury your head in your shoulders like that and people scream with laughter. And they used to rounds of applause as you came on just for being like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I just love that sort of question mark shape. It's partly what I am if I relax. I, if I just could, I would just be like, because it's much more comfortable. I know that's not good for me. Mm. So it's what happens if I'm going to play someone old. I sort of think, well, what's going to go if I'm a little bit weaker? And that's what goes. The, the conventions of Acorn Antiques where Mrs. Overall was such a starring character. I can't believe anybody's forgotten this, but in case people didn't see it, it was a bad suburban soap. Yes. People bumped into the furniture, which then shook. Yes. Uh, people were discovered doing things they shouldn't have been seeing doing, like you were hovering on the edge of the shop yeah. with, with your tea tray and everything. But the great thing is, even without all that, Mrs. Overall would have been funny. It was just a great creation. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, in spite of Victoria wrote it and the writing was just hilarious. I mean, people still come up to me in the street and say, what was it, muesli? Yeah. Or whatever, or they'll say, yeah. yeah, what was it, muesli? You know, and um, she's fantastic. That's her writing. And it's inspiring. You know, it makes you, made me want to play it like that, really. Did you think it could or should have been a musical? I mean, did it you have doubts? I know it was, but oh, did, did you have doubts about it? No. Because I must say, I, I thought, mm, is this going to work? Obviously, you'd learn to trust Victoria Wood just anyway. Trust, yeah, I yeah. just thought, no, it'll be a hoot. The thought of Mrs. Overall singing was heaven to me. Yes. So I thought, no, I, I trust. I knew she would make it hilarious, and she did. Well, you gave it some welly as, as Mrs. Overall in the musical. And on the BBC's Desert Island Discs website, your appearance is there, naturally. Everybody is there who's been on it. Yeah. It's 28 years ago now. Oh, yeah. I With mean, Roy it's Plumley. about time. To, yes, Roy Plumley's here. Yes, it's about time they did you again, isn't it? But it does say, this week's castaway is the singer Julie Walters. It doesn't. It does. Oh, that's a mistake. Well, it is a mistake, but have you always enjoyed singing? It's not a bad compliment. You know, no, I've, yes, I've always loved singing. And right from working with Victoria and, you know, I've, I've sung in things and, yeah. Yeah, I've loved it. I love it. Well, the very first thing you did with her songs. I knew her when, you know, before she'd even been on the telly, she was writing songs to be inserted in other people's programmes. We were on midweek every Wednesday morning. Yes, of course. Well, I, yes, that's when it started. We did a play that she wrote for me, which was so kind. And I couldn't believe she'd done it. I, then I couldn't do it. It was called Talent. And I couldn't do it at the time because I was going to Bristol Vic. I couldn't. I didn't think she'd, she'd say, oh, I'll write something for you yeah. for the Young Writers Festival in Sheffield. And I, after we'd first met, and I thought, oh, how lovely. I, I never thought it would happen. You had been in a, a review together, Bush yes. Theatre in Shepherd's Bush, yes. We did, and um, in 78, and it, 1978, it was called In at the Death. The audience were most nights, apart from her. It was all some of it was great, but but her sketch was absolutely hilarious and brought the house down every every night. So you know, and then afterwards she said, "I'll write something for you." And because she hadn't realised she was by temperament or nature a, a sketch writer at all until that moment. That was the first one she did, I think. Was well, hadn't she done That's Life? Didn't they do sketches on that? No, they didn't. Did they? It was no, songs. it was all songs. I think. Yeah, yes. probably not. She and that's she is brilliant at writing sketches. They're not easy. No, no one writes sketches like they're like mini little plays. Well, they are. I want to come to that later. But uh, then at last, you were on TV together in talent, as you say, and yeah. you had to go through an audition for that, which I, I gather may have been fixed. Well, I think it probably was a little bit. She, I, I we, she, she'd met this wonderful producer, um, Peter Eckersley. Yes. Um, who uh, wanted her to write something for television, um, and. Uh, no, oh no, no, that, that was later. He he wanted to do talent, and um, so they said, "Well, we've got to go through an audition 
process because I didn't do it on stage. You see, so he didn't see me doing it. So um, that was it. I had to go up with other people because he didn't know who I was from Adam. And so I came up and auditioned and she said, sorry, I'm playing the wrong key for everybody else. I play it too high or something. And whether she ever did, I don't know. But anyway, I did it and got it. <laughs> she must have said I want her to do it. Yeah, you know, so everybody so. else got theirs done in a higher key. And I don't know whether they did, mm-hmm. but they might have. You married in the end out of the business, as it were. Yes. But in fact, you'd had a couple of long relationships before, mm-hmm. but only one in the acting profession. That was with the late Pete Postlethwaite. Yes, yes Peter, much yeah. missed. The man Steven Spielberg once called the best actor in the world. I think he was probably right. And directors don't often say things no, like that. No, you know, he not was worth a their wonderful, yeah. wonderful actor, yeah. I've never quite seen anyone do what he did. When we were at the Everyman together, do what he did. Yes. He was extraordinary. His Coriolane, oh, made the hair stand up on the back of your neck. I mean, it was he was fantastic. Because he wasn't, he had no, there were no holes barred. He wasn't afraid. He just went, you know, emotionally went there all the time. He had a great face to start uh, Yes. With. Someone described it as, he looked like he, I think it was the Observer said that um, Pete Postlethwaite looking like he swallowed a pelvis. <laughs> Uh, hospital humour, that is. Yeah. Is. But when you're very close to somebody, personally, in that way, can you learn from them professionally? Is there enough room to stand back and realise, you know, uh, judge their work dispassionately and take from it? Well, I think you can learn. I think you just do without... I don't think it's a conscious thing I'm going to learn. Please teach me. No. You just take in stuff. Mm. And and his bravery, I'm sure, affected me. And he, and also his support of me as an actor. Yes. You know, his, his you know, you are marvellous sort of... So we had great mutual respect for one another as actors. Yeah. And that's, that's very... That's great. But working in Liverpool and the Everyman, you were in a lucky bunch, actually, weren't you? I yeah. Mean, there was a whole team of you and you were all yeah. going to do well. Yeah, it was a brilliant group of actors. You were auditioned by Jonathan Price for I a start. I was, of all people, yes. Jonathan Price auditioned me. I was absolutely terrified because I was so ignorant about plays. And so I hardly had been to the theatre, even though I'd been at drama school, really. I hadn't seen many things. And I, what was the play I picked? Juno and the Paycock, I oh, think. Oh, yes. Mm. I just changed the writing to suit me, put a couple of gags in. And he said, yes, I know I've played that role or something. I can't remember. It was something deeply embarrassing that he knew the part and had played it. I think yeah. it was that I altered. I can't remember. It's such a long time ago, nearly 40 years ago. But anyway, I got in. So it was a great place to start. But there in the, the Everyman, what was it? Bill Nye was there, I think. Yeah. Anthony Sher for yes. the time. Nicholas Laprave, all these people. Yes. Was Bernard Hill there? Bernard was there. Yeah, was very, George yes. Costigan, Bernard Hill. They were, they were at drama school with me too. Matthew Kelly. Oh, yeah. He was there at drama school with me. We were all, at the, you know, within a couple of years of one another. Yeah. So it was... It was an amazing place. It was, it was kind of anarchic and groundbreaking and yeah. it was real community theatre. It wasn't a middle-class setup at all, mm. which I didn't realise existed. Theatre was something I thought was a club that maybe I didn't really belong to in some way. Boys from the Black Stuff came... Because Bleasdale was there. Alan Bleasdale was there. He was there. He was at the Everyman, yeah. Yes. And Willie Russell So it both. all grew rather naturally out of that, I suppose. It did. So I went to the West End with a play we did there written by Mike Stott called Funny Peculiar which Nick Leprevo played opposite me, but they then wanted to bring it into the West End, so Richard Beckinsale plays his part, but I still have this big part opposite um, Richard. So that was a really good platform for me as well, because I got good reviews, and so did it. It was a huge hit, and I was in it for a year at the Garrick, you know, so it was a great place. So Alan Bennett came there, and then from there I got to work with him, and, yeah, it was brilliant. And quite a harrowing series in its way, which must have surprised some people. Oh, what, the... The, 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 the black stuff? Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think it was very surprising to people. It yeah. was sort of 
there hadn't been anything quite like it because it was funny as well. Yeah. Funny and gritty and black and mad. Wonderful Bleasdale stuff, really. And that must have widened your range as far as people's percept casting directors and so on instantly. Yes, because it was heavy-duty stuff. It wasn't comic in that sense, no. no. And she certainly wasn't funny. There there was comedy in it, but not my character. Yeah, no, so it was very tragic sort of stuff. You you mentioned Matthew Kelly. I think he's been touring in Educating Rita recently. Oh, I think I heard that. Oh, it'd be great. And that more or less came next. You're off into a string of successes, actually, after that, Educating Rita. There can't have been a a lot of promise, considering how huge it became. A lot of promise in it at first because it was a two-hander set in an office. Yes. And, you know, uh, so what? And even then people felt a little bit oppressed by two-handers, I I think. They would go to the theatre, oh, we're in the company of these two geezers all night. Yes, yes. What's going to come of that? And uh, obviously it was... No. Well, I thought I was just doing a little run at the... um in the Donmar, which is where it started, yes. which was then the RSC. And I think they'd also expected, they wanted Willie to write something, but I think they wanted something like John Paul, George, Ringo and Burke, which was his massive musical in the West End, which had gone to Broadway and was really successful. And he came up with Educating Rita. And then yeah. it was just kind of shelved for a while, because that's not what they wanted, really. And uh, in the end, they said, OK, and they, they brought in Mark Kingston and me... And they got uh, Mike Ockrent to direct it. And, you know, he, he wasn't an RSC director or anything. And so it was kind of an outside thing, but done for them. And it was lovely doing it at the Donmar. And then it just took off. And then suddenly it was at the Piccadilly Theatre, you know. And then Lewis Gilbert came to see it and said he wanted to make a film. Well, yes. Did you expect to get the film? Because so often great performances are thrown away on the road to Hollywood, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. I didn't really expect it. And he said, I'd want to use you, but I don't know whether I'll be able to get the money if I've, I might need to have a star. But I want you to know I want you. my aim is for you to play it. And I thought, God, I wonder what will happen. And then he went off to America and... Uh, he came back and he said, well, you know, I've had a real battle because they want to get the money. He went off there to get the money. And he said, you know, they wanted Paul Newman and Dolly Parton. I, thought, I can't compete there on <laughs> many levels. And, and, and then he, and then eventually he rang up and said, you've got the part. I said, oh, no, first of all, he said he wanted me to um, uh, do a screen test, which was terrifying for it. And then eventually he rang up and said, it's OK, you don't need to do a screen test, you've got the part. We've got Michael Caine to play the professor, so we don't need a star to play your part. So there you go. So that was great. So I got right. it. I know, very lucky. It was either Hollywood or Streatham, wasn't it, in those, <laughs> in those years? Because you uh, you played Cynthia Payne in the House of Sin, Madam. They, they they renamed her for the picture, didn't they? I think it was Mrs. Mrs. Painter or Christine something. Painter, Painter, yes. Painter, yes, yes. Playing a, a, a real person, a, st- a still living real person that you met. Yes. Must have been different, especially as she was slightly different. Oh, she was very different, yes. It, it was. It's a, it was a big responsibility to play someone else, especially someone that people know and can hear and you know, know what she looks like, know how she sounds, know how she moves, because she was in, she was quite popular, wasn't she, in the, at the time. So I was a bit scared of it, and it took me some time to crack how to play her. And, um, but it was, it, it was, it, it, just listening to her voice and eventually it all clicked, but yeah, difficult. And, and she did used to turn up to locations while we were shooting. <laughs> oh, please. You know, and she'd stand on the other side of the road and say, no, I never did it like that, no. You know, it was that sort of thing. And But, you know, we used to hide the locations in the end, so it was, so it was fine. Very few of your projects went awry in, in any way. I mean, there was a 
fabulous string of successes. But so, something must have happened to the Thrupney Opera or Mac the Knife as it became oh. on screen. Because oh. it's never come out on DVD and all. There's an air of mystery about it. Which is a shame because you were Mrs Peachum in it. Excellent part for you. And Mr Peachum was Richard Harris. Exactly. Well, I think it was reviewed somewhere. But it, it, it did go somewhere because somebody reported having seen it on television. But it was the most... Well, I mean, the script was dreadful. I did it because I wanted to pay my mortgage and things like that, actually. That's a terrible thing to say, but I did. And also had Roger Daltrey and he had great people in it. Mm. To give you an idea of what it was like, there was one day we were shooting and um, the director screamed, as was his wont, shooting, shooting, we'd been rehearsing, shooting. And one of the actresses, who had a key part in it, said, um, sorry, I haven't got my wig on yet. She had a stocking top, which is what you often wear under wigs, around yeah. her head. She hadn't got a wig on. And they went, wig, schmig, shooting. Shot the scene with her, so she, that was obviously still in it. You know, this woman with a stocking top on her head. So, so it was a really mad experience. I would love to see it. So I'd love to see what happened. I love playing Mrs Peacham. Yes, well, it reminded me, the series, of the early days of, uh, of Coronation Street. In particular, those three old biddies, you know, oh. Ina Sharples and Mark. because well, one of them was, uh, yes, Thelma Barlow actually was in Corrie was for years. In Corrie, yes, yes. You were, you were an addict at one stage. I still am. Oh, you are? I'm sorry. I have watched it since I was ten and I'm not going to stop now. Ah, right. Yes. I mean, there were periods where I, you know, there are often there are times when you can't, in the, in the 70s, I didn't have a telly. I was a student. We didn't have one. And, you know, so I'll have missed out a lot of the 70s. But then as soon as I got one back on. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that in a way because I've, I've lost it. I'm, it's, it's lost me, I like to think, because in those days it was so funny. Corrie was very, very funny. Oh, it's still funny. Oh, there's some great writers. Jonathan Harvey, is, whenever he writes them, yeah. they are hilarious. But it caught the best of Manchester speech, which is largely composed of insults, you know, thin, yeah. thinly disguised, being, yeah. being exchanged. And... Uh, yeah, so you you've, you've you watched it all the way through. Yeah, I still watch it. I'm addicted to soap, I'm afraid. Yeah, but then further north, Billy Elliot playing a ballet teacher. Now you you have to go into that believing that somebody is going to make you look like a ballet expert, which you are not. No, I'm not. I said, look, you know, I'm got good posture, wouldn't they? And they said we're going to give you some. A, we're going to give you a DVD to look at of Newcastle and that area, northeastern private ballet teachers. And that'll give you an idea. And a lot of them didn't do any dancing at all from on this DVD. They just, you know, and they, they didn't look like, you know, Darcy Bustle or, or anything. Yes. Like, you know, the, not that amazing. Some of them did, but a lot of them didn't. Smoking. And I got then I got to ask the dancers, you know, what, what were their ballet teachers like? And the choreographer said to me, well, mine used to look at the Daily Mirror and go, yes, and call out the instructions while reading and smoking. I said, oh, I want to do that. Let's let, please let me do that as Mrs Wilkinson. I want to smoke and be reading the paper while they're doing the things. And so we did, so it was built like that. And she wasn't a particularly good dancer and was never meant to be really. She probably mm. did it as a child and then liked it, but never went into it. So that's how it was based. And it was a wonderful film to do because Stephen Daldry, who directed it, was yes. so creative that we'd say, well, let's do another scene where, not in the schedule, and that's unheard of in the film schedules. Another scene? It's not scheduled. <laughs> Everyone going mad. Now we're going to do another scene. While we're in this location, we're going to do another scene where they, where she does so and so, or where she's really rude to the kids, or where she's whatever, you know. Didn't even phone the producer and say, "Can we do this?" No, no. no. Well, our producer was there quite a lot, I think. <laughs> so it was gr very creative. And we'd come into my caravan in the in lunchtime, and we'd say, "Let's put this in, and let's put that in," you know. Just really lovely. I loved it. Well, it certainly worked. They put out a soundtrack album, which was enlightened enough to include. Snatches of dialogue as well as music, which is yes. unusual. Is it true that 
there was an argument about whether you should be in the final scene, where you, which is, you know, 20 years on and he's starring, or... Well, I don't think it was an argument. There was, there was, it was brought up, but then it didn't seem right yes. that she would be there. Somehow mm. it wasn't right, so... Yes. I read somewhere that you couldn't make it anyway. You couldn't make it to the filming no. of that last... But no, no, that wasn't true. That no. wasn't true. No. Uh, so many of these things aren't. No. You can't trust anybody. Yes. No. But when you're a young lad playing the title part and all these big-time pros are depending on you to yes. be the focus of the thing, not just getting through the work, but actually being the focus, it's, it's the meaningful centre of what's going on. That's a heck of a responsibility, isn't it? He was amazing, yeah. Jamie Bell. He was absolutely so, a wonderful dancer. And yeah. a really good little actor, very truthful. Yes. And and a lovely kid to be with. Isn't always the case. Yeah, yes. And the only one from that part of the country, really. I mean, the rest of you are imports from... Yes, yes. So it's very useful having him there. Yes. I said, I'll never forget the day we did the dance, which was terribly difficult for me. I said, oh, I saw him in the... We'd never practised it together. We'd, I, you know, I practised in the summer before we started, you know, on my own and with a, with a dance teacher. And it was very hard and fast. And um, he, I, so I said, oh, what are those steps you're doing? And he said, it, it's the dance we're going to do. I didn't even recognise them. Nothing like what I was doing. Cause it was, <laughs> they were so brilliant the way he did it. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah. But we got through it in the end. Almost an opposite case, even though there are lots of children in it, would be the Harry Potter series because... Among the older character parts, it's it's a fabulous lineup of, of players. I know, everybody you as wants... Mrs. Weasley, yeah. So we... you're, you're knocking spots one off another all the time. It oh, well, must be very exhilarating. Oh, yeah, no, it was great. It was lovely to be part of it. I mean, everybody wanted to be part of it because it was such... I mean, the books were such a... Fin I mean, they were extraordinary, the effect they had on kids. And, yes. I mean, just massively. It was second to the Bible or something in terms of sales. It was just enormous. So to be part of something that had meant so much to the, that generation and to many others and to adults it, it appeared later it was it was just wonderful and um so everyone wanted to be part of it and those that didn't get in you know that didn't have parts you know wonderful actors who did you know never got it you know never got in there but so yeah it was very special and very sad when it finished and another bonus that comes with being in all-star pictures it seems is making new friends among the stars, I believe that doing Mamma Mia, you got on especially well with uh, with Meryl Streep. Well, with both of the girls that we Actually, were, yeah, yeah, because it was a long shoot. Yeah. So the three of us did get get on well. It, it went on till you know, it was nine weeks in Pinewood, then another five weeks in Greece. So you know, it's it's a long time to be with people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, we did, and especially once we got to Greece, it was like a holiday. It was fabulous. Has there been talk, or is this another ill-founded rumor of uh, Mamma Mia two? Oh, I've heard talk of it. Nothing, no, nothing real. Only mm. in the press, which doesn't mean, yeah. you know, there's talk of it. But I think it was more to do with the younger generation yes. than, than ours. And the thing is, we used all the great ABBA songs. So how do you go on and what what songs are you going to use? Yes. You know, those are all the what the pe reason it, people loved it. They're all their best stuff. Yes, you but know. in a sense you're up against it because people have those in their head. They know what. Yeah, yeah. So how much care had to be taken over? Well, we were with this. the Abba Boys. Yes, yeah. Doing it, and so you know that was very important. Oh, I loved doing. They're very difficult songs. They're not easy songs to sing. And I can remember standing in the studio doing probably Dancing Queen. It must have been, and uh, we were we were recording it, and uh, we all kept getting one bit of it wrong. And Christine Baranski, who plays Tanya, I remember her saying over the microphone. God, 30 years of singing it wrong. You know, and that's what it is. We all had got it in our heads, but they're quite complicated, those songs. Yes. And, um, but great singing. I loved recording Waterloo, which we did at the very end. 
just heaven doing it. On a more intimate scale, um, you're one of the few people who knows Victoria Wood's writing and Alan Bennett's writing from the inside, and, and some people see them as closely related in the way that they work. How close do they feel to perform? Oh, that's a hard one. I mean, they are dif- they are different. Hers is a, very much a woman's voice, I think. His is a man's voice. I, I mean, they're both northern. I think that's what people and they and they're both funny and they've both got amazing ears. I don't mean physically. <laughs> no. They're huge ears. No, they've both got just fanta- fantastic... Each of them has got a fantastic ear for everyday stuff, everyday conversation. And, yes. Um, I think Alan Bennett's wonderful writing is more bittersweet than, than Vic's. They both tend towards the uh, monologue and the kind of lonely monologue too. They the do, other, you're yeah. right, they do, that's true. Very hard to say that. And they also drop in sort of banal details. It's as if they'd been written in a the kitchen, they, it, suddenly fairy snow will crop up or something. Yes, or because it's Vaseline, bits, you yes, know. Yes, because... bits from their lives, bits from childhood and from their lives. I think Vic is a great gag writer as well. Yes. So that's different. She's great. She's a stand-up. Which is the harder one to learn if you were learning a, a, a both, Bennett monologue or a... They're both easy to learn because they're beautiful, yeah. beautifully written. Yes. And and things that are beautifully written are easy to learn. Yes. It's when it's when you have a difficulty with a the line. There's you, uh, this sounds really pompous, but there's usually something wrong with it. Yes. Or there's something wrong with your interpretation of it or, or you can't interpret it properly. Yeah. Why does this not go in? There's something wrong here. I'm going to trust my own instincts and say, I want to say that differently. I've often said that with people, not with, ever with Vic or or with Alan, but on in certain things I've said, can I just slightly change this speech? Can I write it for myself? Uh-huh. I've done that in a couple of films, changed things. That album that you got together, Julie Walters and Friends, which oh. should be much better known, I think. How was that pulled together? Well, it was London Weekend, I think, yes. did it. And they just said, we want to do something, and and they must have suggested... Are there writers you want to work with? And I think I'm sure it was that. And I said, well, obviously, Victoria, obviously, Alan Bennett and Alan Bleasel and Willie Russell. They're the ones that I've worked with quite a lot during my life over and over again. Mm. So and they all very kindly wrote sketches and things for me. And you're a libertarian and anything goes sort of character. But it was wonderful casting to have you as, as Mary Whitehouse. I uh, really relished that. Oh, thank you. That I looked like her. Well, that was my marvellous makeup artist, Chrissy Bacon. The, yes, but do, was it enjoyable to do? Oh, because... yeah, it was a great little script, that's why. I, re- I remember being sent... It was funny how things come in, in, in groups um, because somebody else had sent a, a script as well based on Mary Whitehouse. It's like kind of collective consciousness about creative stuff. You often get groups of scripts all on the same subject, two or three scripts, and there were two or three, but this one wasn't poking fun at her. I mean, it, it was, and I grew, doing it, I grew to kind of really like her. Yes. Because I didn't, because well, I was like 19, 20, 21 when she was at her height, you know, and of course she was my mother's generation. And of course we were 60s revolutionaries in 1968, 69. I loathed her. And so to play her later was just really interesting as to what, what she had a reason to be frightened. She was right. Children do need to be protected from what is on television. And, and the director general of the BBC at the time, was very patronising, and she brought him down, mm. you know. <laughs> he just didn't realise what he was dealing with. It was a great story. Yes. And I had more respect, a lot of respect for her by the time I finished doing it. You've done so much wonderful work. I have a list of it here, and it goes on for pages and pages. And it's all great stuff, and it's still going on, of course. Are you happy when you're not working? Yes. 
You are. I love not, uh, yes. I, I like great gaps when I'm at home. And Next year, I start working in the spring on something and, and I don't want to do anything before that, definitely. Do you know what I mean? I like a good few weeks off in between jobs. A, for preparation, but B, just to be at home. Oh, A, to be at home and B, for preparation. It's the other way around. Because I love living on the farm and being in the countryside. I love it. I was out this morning, you know, walking. Fantastic. Oh, I'm sorry to bring you to the, the big city to work yet again, but it's been tremendous fun. Oh, thank you. Julie Walters, thank you very, very much. Oh, thank you, Russell. It's a pleasure. And my thanks also to my producer, Sarah Cropper. This was a Wise Buddha production for BBC Radio 2, online, on digital radio and on 88 to 91 FM.